Are you someone who's forever curious about personal development and always looking to listen, read, learn and seek out what might work for you? Life is one long windy road that we know takes teamwork. It can be tough to navigate alone, even when you're pretty good at self-coaching. So we're here to discuss all things coaching and self-development in the hope that we get to be part of your team, supporting you to enjoy your journey. In this episode, Alex and Jen chat to Sam Kakathis, also known as the philosophical coach, who is working to challenge who you really are. This is in itself a deeply philosophical episode where discussion ebbs from how Sam got started and his work with philosophy, flowing through to how it fits with coaching and how we could all add a little more philosophical thinking to our lives. As ever, let us know if you have any questions or queries or would like to get involved in the conversation. Alex and Jen are here to help. Welcome to Coffee and Coaching. Other hot drinks are available, so grab one, sit back and listen. Hello. 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 <clears throat> Excellent. That worked with three people again. Can we all hear each other? Yep, all good. Absolutely. Fabulous, fabulous. Well, welcome everyone to the next edition of Coffee and Coaching. And it's our second time that we've got a guest speaker on today. And I'm delighted to welcome Sam. Sam, let me get this right. Is it Kukathas? Kukathas? Kukathas. Kukathas, okay, Kukathas, um, who's going to be joining us today to dive into a little bit about the world of coaching and philosophy. Welcome, Sam. Thanks very much, Jen and Alex. Great to be here. Sam, why don't we, um, why don't we start just by telling the listeners a little bit about how we met and a little bit about yourself in your own words sure no worries Hmm. yeah so alex and i met during the lockdown in a online group called the mindful men's club which was you know really helping support men with their mental health in all sorts of different areas of life and it was you know a number of coaches like alex and myself uh it was run by you know a few of my friends uh, who were also coaches and then it was also about people who were just really interested in, um, you know, being empowered around their mental health. So it was a, it was a really great space to be a part of. And yeah, Alex and I connected very quickly. Yeah. And, um, sorry, mate. Yeah, go for it. No, no. Yeah, go on. Yeah. And then um, you want me to say a little bit about myself, right? Yeah, a little bit about your journey, um, you know, in into coaching and where, sure. what your background is. Yeah, sure. So, um, so my my company is called the philosophical coach and it is that way because since I was 16, I'm now 36, I've been studying philosophy and, you know, in academia, I did that until, you know, pretty recently, to be honest, but I became for the last 13 years fascinated about the nuances of the human condition. And so I spent a lot of time writing about um, the nuance of the human condition from the perspective of the philosopher, David Hume. And, what had me come into coaching was a bit of a breakdown essentially in my life. So in 2017, I'd submitted my PhD in Oxford and 
I didn't get it. And it was really a, a crunch moment where I wasn't really sure what now, because I'd had a very, you know, fixed mindset, very clear, like the path to happiness is to be an academic. And now that particular pathway looked like it was in question. So I ended up doing uh, a program, which is you know, well-known around the world called the Landmark Forum, which really, when I went into it, what I experienced, and I wrote on the philosopher David Hume, I, what I experienced is being in a world where Hume became super relevant. It was like philosophy in action. And you know, the techniques which they're grounded in are actually philosophical uh, practices, this idea of ontology, which is basically the nature of being. You know, what we usually look at as human beings is we're looking at the doing of life, whereas this reverses the equation. And it's like, who are you being? And the being creates what you're doing and the kind of results that you get to have. And then the other part is around phenomenology, which is what something looks like. So you get into the experience of life rather than being in this conceptual grasp, conceptual domain, and in the world of figuring it all out. So I came into that and it completely shifted the way I saw life. And from that experience, I started to train more and more in this domain that we call coaching and got more and more curious about people's experience and the way that I could start to actually see, oh, I can just listen for what's there for someone and they can you know, produce a different result in life or they can come out of this conversation and they experience being a new human being. You know, just, really just before I got on this call, I was talking to my VA and he was experiencing vertigo. So I just got into the world of what it looked like for him. And, you know, he uncovered this whole world around the fear he had, fear of dying, you know, leaving his sons behind. And slowly but surely, like, he left it in a new world. He left it being relaxed. He left it seeing the opportunity to play with his kids, to create time out, to slow down in life. And, you know, that's kind of the way I go about it. It's just like a, a constantly questioning what you know about who you think you are, which gets in the way of really having a life that you love. I mean, <laughs> I was there's so much there to to dive into. I'm, 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 if people could hear me scribbling notes on my iPad, that's why. Because I was furious. I was trying to listen really well as well, but I was furiously writing some things that I'm going to ask you on, um, Jen. This is come at a good time for you hasn't it because you're in the midst of um, yeah. you're basically getting like a free lesson on philosophy today aren't you <laughs> um you're in the midst of your psychology degree and, and and the chunk on philosophy i'm i'm intrigued as to what drew you to david hume specifically so did you look you know did you look through the likes of what john locke and Berkeley and descartes and kant and did you kind of um you know pick from having sort of and it was it was it an informed choice <laughs> semi-informed so in my in my undergraduate which is going back a long long time now i definitely was exposed to a lot of those thinkers and mm -hmm. i did one course which was uh around Locke and, and hume and i remember finding Locke pretty um pretty dull to read mm -hmm. and i enjoyed reading hume but that was the only exposure that I'd had to Hume by the time I got to grad school. And really what had me choose Hume is I'd come away from a study abroad and I was doing some stuff in philosophy of law there. And I was like, oh, I, I want to write about that. And I said to my dad, who's a political philosopher, um, I want to write a thesis on legal philosophy, but I don't know anything about the subject. And he said, well, I always thought Hume had a lot to say. And then he said the clincher. And if you did a good job of it, you can probably get a book out of it. And I was like, I want to write a book. <laughs> so that was the reason I chose Hume. 
Um, and uh, it was, uh, yeah, a really interesting pathway in. Awesome. Sam, if you could define coaching in your words, what would you say? I think there's a couple of different aspects to it is what I see. So when I think of coaching, I think of, first of all, it's, like it's training. So you're training someone to think newly and think differently about what's obvious to them because we live in a very tranquilized state where we, we think we know a lot and that knowing gets in the way of, of life working for a lot of us. And the more you can peel back all those places where you think, you know, you think, you know who you are, right. You think, you know, who that person is and all of that creates a listening of yourself and of others which impacts your experience. So if you can dissolve or disappear all these narratives, which are in the way of, you know, life working, then that's a kind of training, right? Because it's a practice which you would engage in. The other part of it I'd say is around the idea of transformation. And obviously there's lots of different types of coaching, but the kind of coaching that I engage in is transformational coaching where you're getting someone to see that not just it's not that, so obvious that who they think they are. It's like, I have no idea who I am. I have no idea who this person is because now I've, I've, I've put back in the past, all of these things, which I have taken on into the future. So we're created a, a blank slate for life from which I'm now going to live from. And the more I can do that, the more I experience a transformation in and it could be a transformation in different areas. It could be a transformation in a relationship. It could be a transformation with your relationship, your kids, your boss. It could be something around your career. It could be around your finances. There is no end to where this could make a difference. It's simply looking at what's going on in my life and where could questioning my experience and where could, if I saw what's really in the background and I'm bringing into the future, if I saw how I could disappear that, I would then have a new life in front of me. So do you, do you separate the two then? Because, I mean, philosophy is the study of, you know, kind of knowledge, reality, existence, all those kind of things. So do, do you separate the two in terms of philosophy and coaching? Or, it, I mean, when you put it like that, it sounds like they are one. It just everybody should be a little bit more, more philosophical. Yeah, they're one for me, for sure. So, mm -hmm. like... The philosophical coach is, is, a, is, to put it simply, is this, right? Like, I'm always going to be a philosopher. And that's something I, as I, cho and I choose to create myself that way because philosophy is about the curiosity about everything. And I was always curious and I've become even more infinitely curious about everything. So, like, I'm just looking at everything going on in the world and I'm thinking, what's, why is, what's that about? Why does it look like that? You know, and I'm, even when I look at something, I'm like, oh, do I actually see it? So anything is an opportunity to be curious and to interrogate what's obvious. And from that, that's where philosophy come, comes in for me. So it's, it's the questioning and the curiosity, which is the philosophical pursuit. It's the asking questions without trying to reveal the answers. So, you know, like I went to a course, for example, which was about mastery. And they were looking at how does a master perceive life and comprehend life? And lots of people you know, including myself, we're trying to figure out the answer. And they would say, look, you got somewhere and then you tried to figure it out and then you killed the discovery, <laughs> right? So it's about living in this world of discovery. That's what, that's what the work that I do with people. It's about, okay, 
what do you want? What, what, what can we discover, right, in, in your life? What can we create in your life through this questioning approach to it? Do you, out, out of interest, um, as you call yourself a, a philosopher, do you have your own theories about anything? Uh, f- about anything, uh, for sure. Well, like, you know, or specific, you know, I mean, you, you read the, the, the works of philosophers and they have their own theories, don't they? So do you, is there anything that you're kind of quite specific about in terms of your philosophy? Well, my, my, you know, the new doctorate that I wrote is about um, the relationship between law and the mind. Uh, so, and it's offering a different way of thinking about law, which is not so institutional. So why is that important? Well, if you look at law from what we already know, then we can see well, the reality of it is it's not really working that well for a lot of people. And so if we just wanted to describe the existing practice then we're going to get more of the same. That's the predictable Mm -hmm. future. Whereas if we looked at, well, what is law for? Like, what's the purpose of law? Then there's a different place to look from the design point of view, the application of law, and what law could be. And so for me, with Hume, there was an overarching kind of theme. And that was the idea, like, law came about through it being in the interest of society. And yet the reality is that it's rarely the case that law is in the interest of society. So, you know, my work was about unpicking this kind of idea, this very abstract idea, and relating it to the theory of mind, which I could see uh, in Hume's work, which played out across his, mor- his work on morality, politics, and law. Um, so, you know, that's one example. But if you ask me, do I have theories about, uh, you know, everything, for sure. Like, I, I did a podcast for two seasons called This Human Life with a philosophical coach where I would just, you know, be looking at the experience of life and I would be, you know, sharing what I would see. Sometimes I'm sharing what I see from uh, coaching someone. Sometimes I'm sharing what I see from breakthroughs I have in my own life or challenges I have to overcome. You know, if one very simple thing I would share is like, for me, being human is interpretation all the way down. So even when we think we're in an objective uh, reality, it's still, it's still subjective. And it's just a time slice of reality that you experience, which is different <laughs> without us knowing to probably what every other person in the world is experiencing. Yeah. It, I like the idea of, and I don't think I've come across it as being described like that, um, that coaching is training. And despite being a coach myself when people ask me what I do there's still that hesitation to go oh Christ I'm not too sure because it's about it's about the other person right of course your skills as a coach will hopefully empower the other person to uncover you know new like I said new ways of thinking but this concept Sam of it's training for me the first thing that stuck out in my mind is it's way less about the end goal it's way more about the process because i think so often people come with it's like well what what do you do like what what what, where do people get to when they when they when they have coaching and it's almost like it's not it's not necessarily about where they're getting to it's where they're coming from and where they where they could get to and what the process is and then what the transformation is as you said so you said coaching is training and it's transformational and what so i think that's really really useful and has actually helped me 
um, to, to give a, a perhaps a better and more succinct answer to to what it is because it's it's ongoing, right? And, and I guess at the point at which you stop asking questions, it's you either need to find somebody else to to speak to, or you need to you know delve into something else when you when you run out of questions. What do you say to people, Sam? Who let's just dive into philosophy a little bit. Who perhaps are resistant to even the, even the term philosophy because it it comes with this idea that it's you know just a group of people you know smoking pipes sitting around chatting stuff but no one actually ever gets to anywhere so they just chat 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 everyone's got their own bit you know two bits to kind of say and that's all it is and there is because it's it's heavy reading right you know if you if you pick up one of these you know philosophers it's it's hard to dive into sometimes even the modern day stuff can be can be difficult how can we modernize or simplify or bring philosophy into let's say you know the joe blogs person walking down the street into their everyday kind of life yeah i think the simple thing is you don't need to read philosophy to get into the practice of uh, being curious. I think the simplest thing I would say is if you don't want to read philosophy and you don't want to listen to the audiobooks, like, you know, there's tons of things you could listen to without having to read anything on philosophy. You could listen to Peter Adamson's History of Philosophy with No Gaps, which is going to be an entertaining way of looking at the history of philosophy, including all the philosophers no one knows except for Peter Adamson. Um, you could look at Philosophy Bites with Nigel Warburton where you get these bite-sized, uh, easy to kind of uh, digest uh, pieces to, to look at philosophy. And, there are, and I know there are lots of philosophy podcasts these days, and I haven't kept up with that kind of world. But if you didn't want to do that, you know, the thing that I would start to look at is really where are you going through life where it's obvious? Where are you going through life where it's obvious who you are, you know? And, you know, let me give you an example. What was obvious for me is I had anxiety when I, until I was 31, now 36. It's really obvious. Like I just had to manage my lot in life as a consequence of being someone who's anxious. I never even questioned the thought that I wasn't an anxious person. It just was reality for me. Now, when I got the opportunity to question that, I then got to see what was behind it. I got to see where, oh, what was behind it is, I was in this world of persistent thinking and I was resisting the thinking and constantly trying to fight it and trying to keep figuring out how to get out of it, you know, like a Don Quixote fighting an invisible, you know, and it didn't work obviously. And it, and it, it really just, um, you know, it created more and more overwhelm and more and more brain fog and more and more fear and stress. And it, you know, had a lot of different negative effects. So, that was an example where a philosophical lens was really powerful for shifting me out of the reality called I'm an anxious person. I have anxiety. I got to question the occurring, as a, you know, like what if it just occurs that I have anxiety? How would I then look at this situation differently? Because just by shifting the language can shift the perspective that one has on it, right? So it's like, okay, so I'm, it occurs that I have anxiety. Great. So what does that mean? Does that mean that there's not every instance where I'm experiencing anxiety? And then I get to look, right? And you get to look if you listen to this. Oh, yeah, I think there's times where I don't experience anxiety. Okay, well, what is it about those times which leads to me not experiencing anxiety in those times? And then, okay, look and write down what you see, right? 
And then there's another perspective to try and, well, what if I didn't have anxiety at all? What do you mean? What if this was just what was happening automatically and we just called it anxiety because that's what everyone's agreed to? Oh, that's an interesting idea. I've never heard of that before. Well, try that on. It's a philosophical idea called questioning the reality that people have agreed to. Oh, okay. Well, why would I care about that? Well, the reason you might care about that is because the way that we're looking at things at the moment doesn't work. People are disempowered around their mental health because there's agreement that there's this thing called anxiety or depression and PTSD, and people are sharing the relatability of the fact that they all have it, and yet life isn't getting better for them. Mm -hmm. So we could keep living into that reality, the non-philosophical reality called agreement, or we could start to question the experience and look, what would we actually like to create instead, right? And then from looking at what you want to create instead, it's like, okay, well, what if I want to create a joyful life? How would I go about doing that? And the funny thing about this is like the philosophical approach that I take is, well, you don't focus on the anxiety. You don't focus on the depression and you don't focus on the PTSD. You help people see what they can't see so that then there's an opportunity to be like, oh, I can actually pull this joyful life towards me just through what I now, what's now clear to me. So the questioning approach, which you know, this philosophical approach will bring, is an idea of like, oh, if I got to question what was so clear to me, who knows what's around the corner? And not in a scary way, like, oh, God, who's around the corner? But like, who knows what kind of possibilities are around the corner? So that's what I would say for someone who doesn't want to engage in the philosophy, because that's not what I do, just to be really clear. Like, I'm, I don't go and ruminate with people about philosophy. You know, I, I spent... <laughs> 17 years doing that. And if you ask me, how do I perceive the discipline? I would say there's a lot of issues with it because there is a lot of navel gazing. There is a lot of looking at the minutiae of things. Like, and I'll give you just a context for that. I was asked to do some research around a, a course, which is you know, really well known around the world in leadership called being a leader, the effective exercise of leadership. And they asked me, what did, what have philosophers come up with in these two fields of ontology and phenomenology in the last 10 years? And so I looked and I read a lot of really abstract stuff and a lot of it didn't make a difference in the quality of people's lives because they were so caught up in their own debates, mm. right? And so I don't want to encourage people to just go, read, go and read philosophy if they want to improve their life. Philosophy is great for, you know, just as it is, for the ability to question what's obvious in life. But getting stuck in the minutiae of the debates isn't always the most productive way of altering the quality of your life. That, that's where I would say you know, coaching is a completely different modality um, unless you're bringing this lens to it. So I don't want to go, go and read philosophy. That's what you need to do to make your life better. I would say, no, look where you want to question what's obvious. Look where you're not being curious about your experience. Look where it's obvious that you know who this person is. Look where it's obvious that you know the way that you listen to them is the way they actually are. Uh, what I, Jen, I'll just jump in. I, you may have a question, but millions. <laughs> where I find this fascinating is so if you think about philosophy and psychology, right? You know, there's, you know, a few well documented, um, you know, instances of, you know, famous psychologists, you know, falling out over each other's theories. And mm -hmm. it's like, 
it, it isn't that the complete opposite of what we ought to be doing in that you're pigeonholing your theory from a ego point of view. So, you know, like, let's say, you know, Freud and Jung who sort of collab together and then, you know, was like, well, that's not enough. You can't just go down that route because that doesn't apply to everyone. It's like, yet that's the point. So you don't just dismiss all of somebody's work for, for what they're saying because it may not relate to you. But I'm interested in the fact that you, this concept of curiosity, which is, I mean, curiosity is, is, is never ending. You can't, well, you can stop being curious as well. But the moment that you, I guess, identify with something very, very ideological, it's like, well, I am just, all I am is a stoic philosopher or all I am is a, you know, fan of Hume or fan of this, fan of this. You stop learning, right? In, in in my in my opinion um so how i just lost my train of thought a little bit um how do we I'm going to rephrase that question. Jen, do you want to come in with a question? Because mine's on the tip of my tongue. Well, I'm just picking up on the... Um, I think lots of us, we, we, we don't try to be curious because we find some sort of... I'm not going to use the word comfort, safety. Mm. Yeah. We find some kind of safety within our labels, don't we? Yeah. And so it's a you know comfy place to be. Um, so why why would we challenge that? And... You know, we live in a more well, particularly sort of Western society where we are pushed through this system. So my my, te my teaching background um, <laughs> will come out here, but we we are pushed through this system that um, just doesn't recognise philosophy of any kind, really, does it? It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't actually ask us to be curious. It doesn't get us to question things. It doesn't, you know, get us to. There, it's almost like there's a finite number of paths for everybody, isn't there, in the structure that we've created. So if somebody's in that, you know, lots of people come to coaching when they're in that kind of, there's a, some kind of disconnect, isn't there? You, you feel a bit icky about something and you can't quite figure out why, but you're a little bit scared to question, to be curious, because that really is stepping outside of the mould. So what would you say to somebody who has kind of, you know, they've got that internal angst going on about whatever it is, they're a little bit scared to start, but they know they, they, they could be doing something different. What, what would you say to somebody who, who's in that position to just start philosophizing almost, you know, that kind of the, the initial steps to getting curious and, and taking some action from it? So... I'd look at this from two different points of view. One, I'd look at it from like the person who's scared to actually look at coaching, right? And I think that's a lot of people. A lot mm -hmm. of people have no idea what it is yeah. and they're very apprehensive. Mm -hmm. uh, and they have a, the thought that therapy is uh, repu more reputable and mm. you know, coaching is more like the Wild West. <laughs> so, um, and maybe there's some people who that, you know, that's that's true of. So, you know, you want to find someone who you feel safe with, where, you know, the experience of being with them is one where it's like being in your living room and speaking to your best friend, but your best friend isn't, you know, interrogating your life. <laughs> but the thing which I would say, which people don't get 
is how quickly your life can alter. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give you an example of this. On Sunday, I got on a call and it was, you know, with someone who was about to leave their marriage. And I was just looking to listen for what would be a, make a difference to them in that conversation. I didn't have an outcome to get to. They just wanted some clarity on their life path. They wanted to complete the marriage. And so I got curious about what was going on. And what I discovered for them was, wait a second, they were never in the marriage. They'd been there 20 years. They'd never been in the marriage. And that's what they started to see. And they saw that what had happened was, you know, previous marriage had, had ended in a way which made it feel like it was never safe to be in love again, like deeply in love. So they hadn't. They'd been in this marriage of convenience to have children, but they'd never been safe to, to love. And so then they were living in the upset without even knowing that that's what was really going on. They saw that if they stayed in the marriage, there was actually an opportunity to create love in their life again. <laughs> they saw that if they left the marriage, they would still be dealing with what had happened in the first marriage. So any relationship that would come forward would be one where that's going to be there in the future. And so what left in 45 minutes was they now want to be in the marriage. So that's what can happen in a conversation. People have no idea. You know, I didn't expect that to happen in the conversation. I didn't go in there like, I'm going to save his marriage. No, it's just like, that's, that's what's possible inside of a conversation. If you get over the idea of you need to feel not scared before you go, and you can be scared and go in and still have a remarkable experience. Or you could be like, oh, geez, like, you know, it's just too good to be true. I don't think it could happen for me. And so I'm going to not do it. I'm going to stay in my thinking, which I really find is persevering. And I'm not sure why it's persevering. And that's great. But on the other hand, if they don't want to look at coachings per se themselves, the other way looking at it from a philosophical point of view, and this is what I deal with people, is we look at the world of what's going on with you internally. And so it's looking to how can you create a separation between who you are and all of the noise which is happening in your life. So what do I mean by that? So we know that we have this little voice, right? And sometimes we just think of it as our thoughts. That's the, you know, that's, that's the, 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 the totality of it potentially. But what if there was a lot more of it, right? What if there was all these other processes which are just happening automatically in the background? There's the feelings that we have. Do I, do I create the feeling or does it just happen automatically? And you look, right? You're looking to see like, when I'm feeling resigned, did I create that or did I just, is that just the patterning that my brain's created? So that's just a predictable future that in this sort of circumstance, I'm being a resigned person and then I'm operating from that framework. And then I look and like, you know, the physical sensations that I'm having when my VA was having vertigo, you know, again, to question the experience and look at what's really going on and to, to look at the shape of, you know, of, of it, to look at, everything around what is a concept in life like pain and break it down until you can get into the you know the small grayness of the experience because if you can do that and you get curious about your experience you start to shift out of the fear because you're stimulating the neurochemical which is norepinephrine which is the same chemical which um anxiety and fear is based upon right so 
this is the way I would start to help people shift if they're looking to just do it on their own or try to do it on their own at least. It's how can I create a separation between who I am and the thoughts that I'm having, who I am and the feelings that I have, who I am and the bodily sensations that are coming up for me, who I am from the mental state that I have, like I'm feeling depressed, you know? person I was coaching the other day and she's like you know this kind of the depression was over outside of her and so she started to see it was a mental state and when she saw it was a mental state there was something she could do about it when it was like I have it there's nothing because I'm stuck with it right Mm -hmm. but if you can look at a location of it outside of you it's like oh right that's a point of view from which I'm viewing life in this moment So when you're listening to this, look and say, what's the point of view from which I'm viewing my life in this moment? Because the point of view from which I'm viewing my life is going to be decisive in how I see this. And you can make a choice from there then, can't you as well? Absolutely. It's interesting when the, the the way you talked about the system and that whole like coaching of the wild west and, you know, therapy is seen as that kind of, um, um it's 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 a status thing as well isn't it because you've 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 just made me call into question why i'm doing what i'm doing (laughs) but i mean i've been very conscious of this the whole way you know i signed up to do this degree um because i mean i could i've realized that i could have not paid the money i could have not gone to university i could have sat and Mm. read these textbooks and learnt the same things Mm. but to to and enjoy to reap the benefits of the letters after your name and that status that it gives you in some way seems to be the right thing to do Mm. (laughs) could you imagine if we were you know i mean i think we could we could all start by being philosophers by just saying what if a lot you know just (laughs) what if what if what if um so i mean could you imagine what would the world be like if um we we taught this from a young age if we were you know philosophy was ingrained in our education system how we were so where we just learned how to be human beings i mean that's, that's a massive question isn't it no no it's it's it's, it's a, it basically it's, i think it's really simple it's a different world like it's an extraordinary mm. world to be in it's a world of play like it's like you never get out of being a child inside of that world mm. because you're constantly like looking around and you're not looking for it to figure out like, Oh, what's wrong with me? It's like, Oh, what's around me? Like, well, what's going on here? Oh, you know, why did they react that way? Oh, cool. What do I need to do to so they don't react in that way in the future? Like it's, it's just constantly, you know, being in this sort of playful state where you're playing a game as opposed to being really serious about everything. And this is the way I need to go through life in order to get these results and to be able to provide for a family and to have a house and all these other things. So I think it would be a different world. And I think it would be remarkable. And I think it's possible uh, because there's already different kinds of organizations who are committed to that. Um, and it's just to really, how do we shift it to it? So it's possible for a greater number of people to see that as the future that they want to bring their kids into and to live into and you know it helps if they've already had some experience of something like that themselves so they can see why that would be helpful for a child from a young age who uh, mm-hmm. you know the development of a child is so fast and we know enough about neuroplasticity to know that like hey if you can uh create a shift at this young age then the benefits for them in their later life is mm-hmm. going to be phenomenal uh they're going to have this advantage on others which is yeah, you know, hard to quantify. There's, a, mm, there's actually some 
I, I, it's next door, so I don't want to leave. But there's a there's a book which I'm, I'm rereading now because it really, really there was a lot of great stuff in it, and it talks about curiosity. So the, the book is called The Intelligence Trap, and it's by David Robson. Um, I don't know if either of you have uh, aware of it or have read it, and it, it's very a lot of it is about research. So it's it's it tracks. Um, a lot of children from from a particular school or a, a group of, of children you know lots of them and it talks about curiosity and it talks and it tracks them to really later on in life and what it found is i'm going to really do it disjustice is this how they were asked to do things in the classroom you know at a very very young age of curiosity versus just uh, you know, kind of authoritative teaching and, and telling them what, you know, what to learn, that then didn't really bode very well for their, you know, some of their performance in life later on. Yeah. And, you know, this concept of intelligence of being letters, degrees, what course you've had, how many courses you've been, to sort of dispel that. And actually it, it can be your undoing as well. And the way that we communicate with particularly children, if we look at how children communicate with us, it's through questions. And yet we often don't communicate with them through questions. So we, they're already curious because they have mm. to be because they've got a developing brain. Mm. And we then just go, well, I'm just going to stop your curiosity because I'm going to tell you what you need to know mm. because I know it. Yeah. So at that point, you've lost the ability for them to develop the even the concept of curiosity to ask questions. And, uh, you know, like I said, I'll... Um, maybe another point I'll, I'll point out the research or put it in a link or something but there is some really good research on that as well well i can, um, I can give examples of that firsthand i mean it's kind yeah. of one of the reasons i left teaching it's it's um i mean i'm now extremely curious as to why we are why we are creating this world the way it is i mean it's it's bizarre isn't it when you start to pick it apart like that and go actually we we are so far removed from we must be one of the we're the only species that are so far removed from the kind of origins of our mm. um, purpose. Maybe is that the word? It could be. Yeah. It could be also just the way that we're naturally kind of designed to operate. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, I, I've heard you 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 touched upon the 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 relanguaging and the reprogramming around you know big you know big topics such as anxiety and depression. Have yeah. I sort of credit to you for for having those conversations, which I think are edgy. And the reason I think they're edgy is because of the, the reasons that you said in terms of, well, I'm going to dispute the fact that you even have a diagnosis. Whereas, you know, we have the other school of the sort of medical route to say, well, certainly don't question somebody if they're saying they have anxiety and depression. This is a you know, it's a serious condition and they need treatment and medication, et cetera. And of course, a lot of people do need that. I don't, I don't discount that. But I've always struggled with the way that it's uh, not necessarily perceived, but the way that it's um, categorized and the way that it's kind of diagnosed, even to a point where is a diagnosis necessary? Mm -hmm. Now, if there's any doctors on here, if there's any psychiatrists listening, they're probably going, of course there's a diagnosis notion. And I've spent, I've spent my life as a physio having to give a diagnosis. But recently in the last many years, I've struggled more and more with giving an exact, I mean, look, 
nine nine out of ten people that come in it's very obvious to see what they've got but for a lot of stuff in the work that i do outside of coaching it's not it's like well they can't move in this way so i'm going to help them do that well what's the diagnosis so i, I can't put my hat on it really mm. but i am going to get them better to the thing that they want to do which yeah. is a bit like coaching like you don't a client doesn't come into you and you go right you've got this this and this so we're going to do this this and this like it doesn't really work like that you might take some objective and subjective markers so that you can retest, which I think is useful. But I guess it's it, diagnosis is useful to a point of getting clarity and safety in the thing that you're going to do, but not useful in the uh, putting it in a box and saying, well, this is what you have. And there's no way of changing that. And we know, you know, whether you believe crazy stories of transformation you know people walking that had spinal cord i mean they happen so yeah that's its limitations is as soon as you say like say i have anxiety you've possessed an entity which actually doesn't really belong to you it actually belongs to a concept that let's like, say we've, we've made up so how much weight is you owning that word that concept that diagnosis that medicalization that treatment path how much of that weight is actually stopping you from breaking through that um, that's, that that thing, basically? So the the question on all that is: How do you? How and when do you know that your edginess as a coach to ask that question? Where you know you kind of, I guess you're putting yourself out there sam to kind of be like well i've been told this for 15 20 years and i'm on medication and this is just what i do and this is how i live, to live my life and how do you find the confidence as a coach to to do that and how yeah th that's the question really i think it's really simple i just look at what was my experience of life before when i was in the world of i'm an anxious person and when, uh, you know, dealing with what I thought was depression was also really clear to me and, you know, and seeing how quickly it disappeared when mm. everything was no longer obvious and everything was made up, like everything <laughs> is made up, right? We use language to make up ideas and concepts, and then we create the reality based on the agreement we have around it and the words we use to describe different, um, areas of mental health are no different and yet we think of them as different we think of them as this is just the truth and anywhere you can question the truth of something i've found you know it tends to alter your experience you know even when things are really severe it tends to alter your experience mm -hmm. even someone you say like i have cancer someone says that they could create a relationship to themselves now where they identify themselves with the diagnosis. But the people I've heard who tend to do you know, better is when they create a separation between there's cancer in the body, but I'm not the cancer, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I'm not mm -hmm. saying, you know, this, this is just based on some different experiences I've had with people, but it's about like, if I can create a separation between the experience that I'm having and who I am, then I don't have to take on the experience as who I am, right? And why is it important to do this? Well. I'm really committed to shifting consciousness in the world around what mental health looks like. You know, I've seen like we've shifted from mental illness and mental, you know, and mental health are the one and the same and 
people were then saying, oh, I don't have mental health because they're scared to be associated with mental illness. Then we shift in the last few years to, oh, no, everyone has mental health. <laughs> Great. Lots of people talking about their mental health. But then it's like, well, wait, how is the world looking for people in, in, inside of this idea that everyone has mental health? Is it really making the difference or are people still just dealing with life at the effect of their circumstances? Well, it seems to me a lot of people are dealing with life at the effect of their circumstances. And then they're using the label of anxiety and depression or trauma to justify why it's that way. And then they're wondering why it's that way, as opposed to questioning the reality they've created around this diagnosis, which they may have got from someone or may have not and just given themselves. And what do they want to actually have their life look like? You know, and I'm a stand for people to create a life that they love. So not everyone's going to want that. Some people are going to want to stay where they are because that's what's comfortable. And that's what the brain's bringing forth. And they want to stay in the comfort, even though it's uncomfortable. And other people are going to be like, you know what? I would love to be able to just create a life where I get to experience peace of mind. And so, you know, that would be a reason to be fearless about what you share around a different perspective. Simple that, as that. That's the problem, isn't it? We, we look outside of ourselves so much. Like we all just look outside of ourselves for the answers, don't we, all the time? So it's a massive symptom of the world we've created. So it, philosophy is about that, isn't it? Seeking to understand fundamental mental truths within you, isn't it? And the world that you live in and your relationship to your world and your truth and, and that kind of stuff, isn't it? I mean, that's where it all starts. Sure. And then question whether it's true. Yeah. Yeah. If you create as a fundamental truth, that can be a, ha that can be a constraint. Sure. Whereas, sure. you know, like I, I'm yet to find a thing which is true. <laughs> I have things which I, commit to and i choose to live into because mm. it's what i say is so but that doesn't mean it's true to me yeah which i guess is that that's the bit that blows people's minds <laughs> <laughs> when you start talking about truth and reality and facts yeah. and feelings it, it you know people struggle with that um For sure. because they go well you know white is white black is black um you and i here are having this conversation so that is there is truth in that and it's like okay, in a momentary space of time, perhaps that is true. Mm. Um, you mentioned, I'm just going to, this could unlock a complete, um, well, you may, may well do a, a minefield here. <laughs> you said that some, pe some people don't want to change and that they are kind of happy where they are and they're comfortable where they are and it's keeping them safe. Do you think that's true or do you think that it's, they want to, but they can't. So do you think there are, uh, maybe it's semantics, you know, the people that you look at and you meet 10, 15 years, 20 years down the line, and they have the same rhetoric, the same story. They, have, they haven't what you would describe as evolved or grown or done any kind of development work. Do you think deep down they want to stay where they are? Or do you think that they just can't and they haven't found the right path to change and it's just too difficult it's too scary so i guess my, my question is you know to 7.8 billion people in the world want to create something different and some are lucky in that they find someone that comes into their life they do it they read a book whatever and others just it doesn't happen for them for, for, for a number of reasons yeah like i think everyone wants their life to change in some shape or form at different times and possibly every day they might want to change how things are or 
um, I don't think anyone doesn't want to change. It's more a case of how many people are willing to look at what it's going to take to change the thing which isn't working for them. And that could come through an experience that they have. It could be, like you say, they read a book. It could be that they listen to a podcast, they get inspired. You know, there could be so many different circumstances which lead to someone to go, you know what? I'm going to, what if I looked at things this way? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And the more people we have in the world who are a stand for people, you know, looking at life from this different place, I think the better it's more likely to be for the totality of the 7.8 billion, if that's what you said, uh, there are people are on the planet, uh, from, you know, that's, that's the way I would look at it. It's probably a sliding scale as well though, isn't it? You know, it's, if you put it from a, like a, a scale of one to 10, you'd have so many people spread across that, wouldn't you? In terms of whether they want to change, how they want to change, whether they, um, want to invest in, in doing whatever or becoming a bit more philosophical about life. It's probably not just whether you do or don't, is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, Alex, go ahead. No, you go, you go, Sam. I was just going to say, like, you know, and I think if people looked at it as being philosophical for the sake of being philosophical, I don't think it's going to move people. No. Mm -hmm. If you look at it from what kind of result or outcome would you like to be able to produce if it was possible, not being attached to that, but just imagine this was possible. If I stepped into this kind of way of thinking, would it be worth playing in that space for a little while? And just seeing, you know, you can go back to your space if you want to afterwards, if you, you know, don't find it, you know, worth, worth playing, but maybe it's just worth, you know, dipping my toe in and playing in that space and seeing, seeing what comes out of that. Unless I really love what I've already got in life. And if I love what I've really got, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. But you don't know, do you, until you try those things, like you say, if you don't experiment no. with the possibility, you do, you don't know whether what you've got is, you know, best. I give my, you know, kids is a really um, sort of, very simple example oh, i don't want to do that i don't want to do that we'll stay at home we'll do that and then you take them out and it's been the best day ever yeah it's that mm-hmm. kind of thing isn't it it's just just being having the courage to get started um and that's the same with coaching as well though isn't it just yeah just having the courage to to experiment and also let, let's not make um let's not pretend it's not because transformation is scary like you know on some level it's scary and when things are scary to do it alone is probably not the wisest thing to do right (laughs) so you can you know read all the books you can listen to all the podcasts you can that's that's great that's almost that's the information part of it right Uh, and it's a great starting place and i guess i'm plugging coaching a little bit The, the value that coaching has is that Someone is there with you to to help you create the transformation, which is why, and this is just how I um, work with my clients. You know, I, I don't work with anyone for less than less than six months. The only I do occasionally give people a chance to buy a set of um, a set of sessions, but in terms of a long term coaching relationship, six months is the absolute minimum. And if you're thinking as to why, it's like well. Because anything less than that, you're not really going to go, you know, you're not going to skin the scurf, you're not going to skin the surface really. I'd say if you want something like that, then maybe you need, um, you know, some short-term counselling or you need something like that. But to create transformation, you need time. 
Okay, and I think people are resistant to that and perhaps resistant to having somebody in their life for a long time if they've never experienced it or if they come from a place where, do you know what? No one in their life, in their history of however long they've been on the planet, has shown them that level of care and attention. So there might be some stuff from childhood or they don't have a good relationship with their brothers, sisters, they don't have a friend or whatever it is. I think for the listeners that are curious as to, well, what what does coaching look like? We've, we've spoken about what it can look like from here in the philosophical point, point of view as well, or at least bringing philosophy into it. It's it's having someone there for a good chunk of time, six months, a year, 18 months, two years, however long that is, that's really going to support you in and, and, and make it about your journey and not about them. Um, I'm not saying that's the only way to coach. You know, you can have some really powerful shifts in four, five, six session programs, whatever. But if you're talking about the kind of things that we're talking about, Sam and Jen, it's just, despite the fact that you've had a great change in that person with in, in the 45 minutes, I, I'm anticipating that you've either done some work with them before and you're going to continue to do some work with them. It's not, that's not the end of that. So don't be scared of the time it takes for, for change to happen and transformation to happen, which is what we spoke about last time with Jen. Um, and let go of the notion that you, you know, that you have to do it alone because you really don't. I'm going to jump in. Like you could philosophize there that we've, we've um, again, stepped away from how, how we could be as human beings. Like we've made coaching a thing, haven't we? Whereas actually yeah. what if we were just there to support each other um, to grow and transform, change, whatever, just as a, um, as a, as a community, as a species. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. For sure. People don't want coaching so much, but they want their lives to improve. Right. Yeah. Um, I think the scary bit is the relationship, though, as well. Actually, Alex picked up on that, and, ju and just just having that, having somebody there in your corner, having you know, having never had that before in your life, because we've become a little bit disconnected, and uh, even though we're more connected, um, just is that a, a big part of the fear? Yeah. So I'm just really, I'm going to jump on and just jump on a thing that Sam said. People don't pay for coaching, which sounds a bit weird to say. They pay for their lives to change and transform. So, which is different to, well, you know, any kind of service-based thing. Like if you pay for, you know, a massage for an hour, you're not yeah, essentially paying for the massage. You're, you're, you're paying to feel better and for you to be in less pain and for you to then go and compete better or do whatever. Um, you know, when you pay a fee for an hour of something you're, you're paying for that knowledge etc etc so it's a valuable mindset to have actually both as a coach and as a client to go well i'm not paying for coaching per se i'm paying for a different experience of life a different way of thinking different opportunities different relationships all this kind of stuff that's what you're actually paying for yep yeah for sure. <laughs> um, we God, we're already 53 minutes in, so <laughs> this could be so long. But let's begin to wrap it up because we've talked about so many things. Jen, do you, do you have any last-minute questions before we maybe end with um, some takeaway points that the listeners can take, some nuggets, perhaps some reading material, a little podcast, which you've already mentioned to, but 
which you've already mentioned. Have you got anything lastly you'd like to ask myself or Sam that you is um, on the no, edge of your I tongue? It, I think it's just that now how how do we you know put, how do we take elements of this however big or small to sort of bring into our own lives um and it's all right i've got sam's email address now so i've got so many questions <laughs> <after this. laughs> um but yeah it is just that isn't it how how do we make this not so big and not so scary so that we could implement you know sort of those actionable things that we can do to uh, and the listeners whoever to to make the, the step forward i guess the first, sort of first step into whether that's coaching or just thinking for yourself a little bit more. Well, the first thing I would say about that is question whether it's actually scary or whether you've just created it that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What is fear? <laughs> yeah, that's not big but, to start with. <laughs> is there not a um okay, we're gonna run over run over now. Is there not a is there not is there not value, Sam, in owning that for a momentary period of time so like i said okay let's not uh, let's not hide the fact that it is scary is there not value in me saying oh this is scary but if you stop there i guess that's your problem it's like this is scary but i'm going to do this 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 and this or there's a different do you think there's a problem even with that language of creating that stance to start with there's no problem like there's no problem with anything really. It's only problems created through our beliefs of whether it's a problem. So mm. it's it's really just a case of is it a stop for someone? If creating it is it scary is going to be a stop for someone, then you could maybe say it's a problem in terms of potentially it's you know it's a con competing commitment to what they might want to have. Um, yeah. Being committed to it being scary is um, you know competing with their commitment to having their life work in this different ways, right? Yeah. Um, but if it's scary and they're like, they like being scared because they like living life on the edge, mm. then that might be the exact thing they want. I want to do mm. something like when I get people who coach me, I want someone who's going to, you know, kind of put your balls in a vice and have like, <laughs> holy shit, like this is, this is like edge of your seat sort of stuff. Like I'm listening as if my life is on the line. That's the kind mm. of coaching that I like. Um, yeah. but not every, that's not necessarily how I coach people, right? Like it's, it's a question you're really, what the coaching is based upon is who the person in front of you is and what's going to be needed to commit to their life. So sometimes the tone and the resonance of the speaking can be more like this. And other times what's needed to, you know, really make an impact is to speak as if you're going to penetrate through their soul. You know, mm -hmm. I had a person the other day and she says, I'm a bit worried that it's going to be wishy-washy. And so my <laughs> tone just changed. I'm like, look, I don't do wishy-washy. You're right. Like, I speak so that, at times, we're going to just get out of whatever's in the way of you being able to get over your overwhelm and you believing that, you know, this is your way your life's going to go. I'm going to speak from that. And then sometimes you're going to experience that speaking through your spine. And she was like, I'm in, right? <clears throat> because people want someone who's really going to commit to them. And other people want something different. And it's all fine. There's no problem with any of it. It's just about, you know, seeing what makes sense for that particular person and speaking yeah. from that figuring that relationship out yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. awesome and um, just going right back to the start and we, we will wrap it up there was a couple of people just so we can give some resources that you mentioned was it peter adamson yep yep so he's got a podcast called the history of philosophy with no gaps 
Okay. And it's been going for a number of years. I think and the other books about as well. Good. And the other one was Philosophy Bites. Yeah, by Nigel Warburton. Okay, great. I'm totally listening to them. Help <laughs> <laughs> with my essay. Um, Sam, let's just hand the mic over to you for the last whatever sixty seconds, ninety seconds. You're not not on the timer, but <laughs> what? Um, give give us. Give us a little nugget. Give, I mean, you're giving, well, you're giving us so many nuggets, but give us something that you could summarise the conversation that we've had. Um, as, as a listener, we did not plan today, by the way, at all. So it's just gone in wherever we wanted to, wherever it, it had to go. What, yeah, what are your takeaway points for, for, for listeners from today, having digested what we've spoken about? Sure. So... There's a lot we've spoken about, so it might be a bit challenging. But let me, <laughs> let me just give you, like, the foundation from which I work with people is around the question of who are you really? And then it's about peeling back all of the truths which we've created around that. Now, you can work with someone or you could try this on your own. Definitely a lot easier if you work with someone. But the who are you really question is about looking in your life where you know you know that you're a failure. You know that you're a fraud. You know that you're an imposter. You know that you're smart. You know that you're a good listener. You know that you're um, courageous. You know you're confident. Whatever it is, like you get to, if you interrogate all of it, even the things which seem good, look at what might come from it. What might you might discover about yourself when you stop being in the world if everything is just obvious. It's obvious that the way the world going right now is a problem. Is it? Or is it just the world is the way it is because it is the way it is right now? And I'm creating it as a problem based on my judgment of what it should be like, you know? So if we can look from that place, I think life starts to alter. You start to have a different experience of the circumstances around you. You get to like, how can I be responsible for my experience of the circumstances independently of what they are? Because the circumstances will just be what they are. Mm -hmm. And I get to question whether I want to be responsible for that and see there's an opportunity or whether I want to be at the effect of life and on the merry-go-round and going around and around and thinking, oh, geez, how do I get off the merry-go-round? So that, that's, that's kind of what I would share. Amazing. Yeah. And what, what a position of um, informed choice that would be for so many people. Yeah. 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 Um, Sam, thanks so much. I, I could yeah, I you. could listen to you talking for hours. I could speak to you for hours. We could um, uh, we could definitely do this again at some point. I'm sure yeah. it's been. Do you know what? I've written so many notes today. Yeah, I've written so many notes today because you brought value to you know to to my coaching practice, and mm. you've given me some questions to ask my clients, and mm. you know brought a little bit of courage into the room to kind of uh, question the accepted uh, which I, I try to do as much as possible but hearing someone who's probably even on the edgier side of things um, <laughs> is great you know and, and it's we do need people like you we need people like you who are going to question we, we, we without philosophy we really would be absolutely nowhere so we need people thinkers like you that are going to um push people question the unknown question the known question the facts question the things all that kind of stuff so it's great to have you on board and i hope i hope we've made it more digestible 
for listeners to kind of go, well, what is this thing, philosophy and coaching, and how can the two, you know, sit side by side, which they which they really can. So much, much appreciation to you, mate. Yeah, look, it's been a real pleasure to speak to both of you, Alex and Jen. And if anyone wants to, you know, get in touch with me, feel free. Like you can find me under Sam Kukuthus because it's the only one in the world. Or you can <laughs> really? uh, just, yeah. You can go to oh, wow. coach.com and you know, happy to connect with you and have a conversation. Yeah, do do go and listen, do go and listen to some of um, Sam's previous live stuff or podcasts or the it was human human life wasn't it yeah they're, they're yeah, really totally really cool human life with the philosophical coach yeah yeah they're really really good awesome let's wrap it up jen good to speak to you again yeah we, you guys, um, thank you it's right. been a pleasure and um enjoy well we, we, we're recording this on the thursday of the jubilee weekend so go and enjoy the the long weekend and we'll catch up soon Happy coaching. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or you could leave a rating and a review. To catch all the latest from Alex and Jen, head over to Instagram, follow at Alex Manos Coaching for Alex and at The Direction Coach for Jen. Thanks once again and we'll see you next time.